Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The 2023 supercar season will open in Newcastle on March 10 to 12 if Heritage New South Wales gives it the green light. The series has applied for that date as well as applying for approval to begin negotiating a new deal beyond 2023 for the Newcastle 500. After a two-year break due to COVID, the 2023 running of the event, should it go ahead, is being seen as the last of the original deal, which started in 2017. As we briefly touched on last week, there will be two categories for pre-car of the future supercars to race in next season. The V8 Touring Car Series will return as a standalone category on the Speed Series bill next year with five rounds, but the FG Falcons and VF Commodores are also likely to be eligible for Super 3 on the combined grid with Super 2 on the Supercars bill. Shane Van Gisbergen's plans to race in the Trans Am Series have been blocked by Triple Eight Race Engineering. He was set to race Camaro at Queensland Raceway next month, but Triple Eight won't let him. Speaking of Triple Eight, there's been some eyebrows raised over a rookie test for Brock Feeney at the Bend over the weekend. More on that later. Greg Murphy will be behind the wheel at the Auckland Super Sprint at Pukekohe this September. The full-time Bathurst 1000 winner will race a Ford Sierra RS500 Group A car in the historic touring car support category. The future of Wakefield Park is looking shaky thanks to a ruling from the New South Wales Land and Environment Court that effectively restricts its track operation to just four days a month. Should that not be rectified, it will be difficult for the circuit, one of just two permanent tracks in New South Wales, to remain viable and keep the doors open. And the Gary Rogers Motorsport Combine will return next year. The Marcus Ambrose Run Program will take place at Simmons Plains and Baskerville in Tasmania between January 15 and 20. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I'd never banned from driving a Trans Am car, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week, my friend? G'day, Andrew. I think if you uh, if you ban a teammate from driving Trans Am, you're hardly a teammate at all. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. I would just pull off the window net and help stuff you straight <laughs> in there, mate, and you could you could crack on with it. Let's uh, let's kick things off with the with the latest Shane Van Gisbergen block. Triple Eight has actually pulled this trick before. They stopped him from a Speedway program last year, I think it was. Um, but generally, like to be completely fair to the team. They're pretty lenient with Shane and his extracurricular activities. He does a lot of racing outside of supercars. He's won Blanc Payne GT titles. He's now very deeply immersed in the rallying world. I think he's he's rallying in Hawke's Bay in New Zealand this weekend. Um, Stefan, any clues why this one has been blocked? Are you convinced that this was solely a decision made at team levels and supercars didn't have a hand in it at all? You've asked that question so innocently, Andrew. It was uh, incredible <laughs> you could get that out with a straight face. But I, I think, yeah, you've got to start with the fact that Shane's contract is with Triple Eight. It's not with supercars. Mm-hmm. So the bottom yep. line is all of his extracurricular activities 
get the yes or no from Triple Eight. That's where he's got to go on it. And so obviously they've given him a no on this one. But it is certainly interesting that um, Jamie Winkup had said prior to the uh, the Easter Bathurst where Shane wanted to drive in Trans Am that um, that would be okay. But and I quote from Jamie at the time, if it gets political, I'll say no. Shane obviously yep. caught COVID before that event, so the politics took a back seat. But clearly, running a Trans Am round is hugely political when Supercars and Triple Eight are also currently developing their own Camaro race car for next year. It's hard to see any other explanation as to why you know Shane can go and run in a World Rally Championship round a week before the Bathurst 1000 later this year, but he can't pop out to uh, Queensland Raceway for a couple of laps in a domestic series. Yeah, or fly to France to compete a t- like a grueling 24-hour race the week before the Darwin Triple Crown, you know, all things that are, are, are have the potential to affect him much more than, mm. than racing a Trans Am car. It's, yeah, like I had those those wink-up quotes in my notes as well because, you know, that 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 was kind of telling. So, I mean, it's definitely plausible that the series has has played a backroom part in how this has played out. It, it's it, – it's really a great shame because it would have been a lot of fun to watch Shane in one of those cars. And I think you made the point uh, when we spoke about him missing Bathurst, you know, just what a fantastic benchmark he would be for your Trans Am front runners like Nathan Hearn to measure, to measure up to. So I think it is, you know, it's just a, it's just a shame because particularly the style of those cars, it just would have been fun to watch. Yeah. And one of the odd parts about it is that ARG who run the Trans Am series are a part owner of race, which, which owns supercars. Uh, but yep. when you look at how it's played out, there's not much love lost between those two parties, seemingly. Like they have competing broadcasters, competing major sponsors, and different events. There's not actually much evidence of them working together on, on anything. And I think that the other, like the almost ironic part, is Tony Quinn's position in all this. Like he owns Queensland Raceway and 40% of Triple Eight. And this Speed Series round is going to be the first big event at QR since he's poured all this money and effort into upgrading the place. So having Shane racing would surely have been a uh, big boost and a good way to kick that off. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a shame on a number of fronts, but here we are. Hey, while we're on the subject of Triple Eight, uh, I believe there's been a few eyebrows raised by their testing program with Brock Feeney, their rookie testing program with Brock Feeney. You've got the, the inside line on this one, Stefan. What are you hearing? Yeah, it's caused a bit of a uh, a bit of a stink, that's for sure. So it's important to to go through a little bit of the background here. So every supercars team gets three test days per season, all of which have to be run on their home test track. But those running first or second year drivers also get three rookie test days in addition to that. So the wording around the rookie testing rule is that four rookie test days eligible teams will be permitted to nominate an alternate circuit at the HOM's approval, excluding Wanneroo and Hidden Valley, with the HOM, of course, being head of motorsport for supercars, Adrian Burgess. So Triple Eight ran Brock Feeney down at Winton before that race meeting earlier in the year, and now they've gone to the bend. And so these tests get approved by supercars. They put in the form, they get ticked off. So we're not suggesting any wrongdoing at all from Triple Eight on this. But certainly there were other teams of the belief that the rule intended to allow one alternate track outside of the home circuit. So among those um, is Erebus boss Barry Ryan. And Erebus were actually at the bend with with their two drivers, Will Brown and Brody Kostecki, on Saturday. 
I spoke to Barry this morning and he's certainly uh, very unhappy about this and he was one of those of the belief that, uh, yeah, it was only one other one other track allowed to be run. From what I know, others are in the same boat and also uh, also questioning this. It's, it's interesting. Like, okay, so, you know, yesterday you sent me this rule and said, how would you interpret this? And I have to say, when it sort of, when I first looked at it, I didn't really understand where the issue was. I mean, I would immediately take it as you can test anywhere except Wanneroo or Hidden Valley. And of course, you know, it'd be pretty hard at Bathurst, um, Townsville, Adelaide. You're not going to be able to go to those places as long as the head of motorsport says it's okay. I don't think it doesn't say you can only pick one other circuit apart from your nominated test track. It just says you can nominate a, 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 an alternate circuit um, as long as you get the approval from the head of motorsport. So I, I almost feel like it's harder to interpret it um, the other way, to be honest. To me, it actually is pretty clear, and I don't think the team's done anything wrong, and I sort of feel like the other teams maybe are missing a bit of a, a trick there. Maybe what we really need to look at is the rule itself. I mean, two years of rookie days seems excessive to me. Um, so, you know, Triple A can do this with Brock Feeney again next year with their Gen 3 car. If Zach Best lands at Tickford, they would have two cars, Zach Best and Thomas Randall, that they could split and just cover a heap of ground with their Gen 3 cars next season. Like, do we maybe need to kind of look at why we have two years of rookie days, particularly now that, you know, the the the, the Pandora's box of basically being able to go to three different circuits with your rookie days has been open? Yeah, I think, uh, like, this is definitely going to be looked at now. Um, the two-year thing is an interesting point as well, and it does create those big questions about, sure, it's a bit of a stink now, but, yeah, when you've got Gen 3 in the mix, like, being able to do a tour of all these racetracks beforehand um, would be hugely beneficial. But right now, there's clearly a big cost yeah. component to it, you know, trucking staff and – or, sorry, trucking your cars and hopefully flying your staff – um, is uh, is super expensive, and this goes completely against the cost containment that they they always try to push. And yes, I was sort of emphasising the wording of the rule before, but it's it's whether um, this is what the rule had intended, and it's important to remember that mm-hmm. um, other teams that have been running rookies were um, very much uh, part of the process of that rule being implemented. Because uh, of the commission structure, obviously. So, yeah, I think some of the people that had helped push it, push the rule in, um, have ended up with a rule that wasn't quite what they thought it was uh, intended to do. And another interesting part of it, to be honest, is the fact that um, so Triple Eight did run their wildcard car, so it wasn't a Red Bull car, but um, that's that's again yeah. the team being smart. They've got the resources to not have to put miles on uh, on one of their race cars. Um, race car. But also yep. Jamie Winkup um, was out there cutting some laps. And so it's it's a rookie day for, for Brock Feeney. And if they had Shane Van Gisbergen there, their other primary driver, he'd be limited to 10 laps. But And again, with approval from the HOM, any other licensed driver can drive the car without that restriction. So again, that, that seems pretty generous, doesn't it, that um, someone like Jamie could, could run with without restrictions. Yeah, I think, and I think they're the issues with what's going on here. Not necessarily, obviously, like like the point you made at the at the top, and it's worth making again. Triple Eight hasn't actually done anything wrong because everything here has to get signed off by supercars, and obviously it was signed off by supercars. But yeah, maybe there is some, 
maybe the rule needs to be tightened up a little bit. But I certainly, on the interpretation of it, I, I think that I would definitely be trying to cover as much ground and get to as many tracks as possible with with those rookies. I just think that's the smart way and, to play. Uh, adding a bit of irony to the end is that Jordan Boyce, who's doing a wild card with Image Racing uh, in the Supercars Championship at Taylor Bend, isn't allowed to test his wild card car at the Bend. So he was there in a Super 3 car cutting some laps. So figure that out. Yeah, that and that just adds to it. And that's the other, like coming back to the two years of rookie days, like if you look at the development of a modern supercars driver now, they do Super 2, they've usually gone to the race at the Bathurst 1000. They've quite often now done a done a, um, a wild car pro. You look at someone like Thomas Randall. I mean, he actually has an immense amount of experience in supercars and he gets two years of extra testing. Like it is, it is definitely a big leap. Just quickly, Stefan, this Newcastle date thing that that came out last week, um, am I the only one that found that whole announcement a little bit, I don't know, weird? Like it doesn't necessarily fill me with confidence in the event's future, particularly the just the matter-of-fact response from the city of Newcastle, which was like, yes, Supercars is welcome to apply for fill-out form 1C-2B, whatever, um, and see if they can do a new deal. I don't know. Did you, did, did, what did you make of it all? Yeah, I mean, it was all very, uh, very abrupt. These things normally get announced to the media in a nice press release with, you know, your sort of palm trees and that sort of equivalent around it. But this was just two blocks of uh, straight on the record quotes, one from Supercars and one from the city of Newcastle. When, when you look at what's covered in that, like you'd hope next year's event is as good as locked in. Like it does need that New South Wales heritage approval due to the fact that that turn 11, that hairpin towards the end of the lap is in the Coal River precinct, um, which is a heritage uh, situation there. But, you know, they let them lay that tarmac for a hairpin through that before the first event. So surely they're going to be able to use it. Uh, But the question then beyond 2023 is, is far bigger in terms of it's almost a clean slate when it goes back to community and stakeholder consultation and, and all that side of it. So it's going to be a real political football, you'd think. But um, you never know. Adelaide showed that these things can uh, can go either way. Yeah, it's just interesting because usually your quote from the city of Newcastle would be along the lines of, you know, we really hope we love the Newcastle 500. We really hope we can work together the future and stuff. And it was just very, very matter of fact. It was um, a little bit different. Before we move on from Supercars News, here's a handy little offer for anybody heading to the OTR Super Sprint at The Bend on July 29 to 31. Castrol Motorsport News listeners can get 10% off grandstand and GA tickets by clicking the link in the show notes and using OTR10 as your discount code. It's a bumper program with Supercars, Super Utes, Carrera Cup, Aussie Racing Cars, Group N Historic and sports sedans and buses will be running from Adelaide CBD, Mount Barker and Murray Bridge for five bucks each way. Stefan, let's uh, try and unravel this Wakefield Park mess a little bit. Um, the circuit's been hit with strict noise restrictions that threaten its viability. A development consent from the Goulburn Mulwari Council means that no more than four days of track activity can take place per month. Obviously, that's a huge blow for a circuit that relies on operation to make a profit. Uh, owner of the Benella Auto Club says it's exploring all options um, and it says, and I quote, you know, Wayful Park's existence as one of only two permanent motorsport facilities in New South Wales is now in jeopardy. I mean, the, the whole thing is like wholesale confusing trying to work out to say the absolute least, but surely, surely this is complete madness, right? 
Well, it's certainly bad news for motorsport, particularly in New South Wales. I mean, restricting it to 30 days a year, that's that's not many more than than you can run at Bathurst in a year. Like, And that's yeah. literally whizzing past people's driveways. So, yeah, yeah. yeah th- this Wakefield Park issue is, is not something that's popped up overnight. It's, it's a brawl that's been unfolding for a fair while. And uh, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out from here. As you said, it doesn't seem viable for the BAC to run it under those restrictions, but we can just hope that um, they and, and the council there can uh, figure out a way forward so that it can continue because, yeah, that, that ruling sort of makes you fear for um, for all racetracks, to be honest. Like, um, geez, yeah, it's, if, not exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's not exactly in a really built-up uh, zone. No, I was going to say, I haven't been to Wakefield for quite a number of years now, but, you know, unless urban sprawl has accelerated at a fairly alarming rate, then it really is kind of in the middle of nowhere. And if it, if, if that one can't escape noise issues, then, yeah, that's definitely worrying for, you know, the majority of the other circuits uh, in Australia that are that are much closer to, to built-up areas. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's not great. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Kiwi Nick Cassidy took his first Formula E race win in dramatic circumstances in Brooklyn. Uh, They were Homebush 2010-style wet conditions, and he hit the wall while leading, uh, followed into the wall by Lucas Degrassi and Stoffel Van Dorn. The race was eventually declared and counted back a lap, which meant Cassidy was the winner. Antonio Felix da Costa then won the second race after holding off Van Dorn. Carlo Rovenpera took his fifth win of the World Rally Championship season in Estonia, defeating Toyota teammate Elvin Evans. Christopher Bell took his first win of the NASCAR Cup Series season in New Hampshire as he held off Chase Elliott. And Scott Dixon held off Colton Herder and Felix Rosenquist to win the IndyCar race in Toronto. The victory was the 52nd of his career, which means he's now level with Mario Andretti in second. Second on the all-time IndyCar wins list. The big news in IndyCar this week, though, has been this contract saga between Chip Ganassi, McLaren, and Alex Pillow. Now, if you missed it, what basically happened is Ganassi put out a press release saying that Pillow was staying for 2023. They'd taken up an option on him. The press release had quotes and everything. Pillow came out and said that it wasn't the case at all. He hadn't approved these quotes. And then he was later announced as a McLaren driver for 2023. 23. To talk through this whole mess, I grabbed Motorsport Network's IndyCar reporter, David Mousher-Lopez, for a chat. Uh, David Mousher-Lopez, what is happening in your part of the world at the moment? We've got press releases with quotes going out and then drivers saying, hey, I never said that. I'm not staying there to drive. What? Just try and talk us through this this wacky Alex Pillow situation. Well, uh, the rumours started in April that uh, he was, looking to leave uh, and a lot of people were thinking well why the hell would you want to leave you know he drives for the best IndyCar team in the paddock uh, you know certainly the most successful he's just come off a you know championship why why now well it turns out that even though he hasn't been as blatant about it as uh, Colton and Pado apparently he has uh 
Formula One pretty big in his eyes. And he sees McLaren as a yeah a way to get in there, especially given that Zach Brown, the CEO of McLaren, has been so encouraging to, to Pato and Colton Herder uh, in terms of getting them into a Formula One seat, uh, at least to test. So, um, yeah, the other important thing to, to know here is that Zach Brown and Chip Ganassi loathe each other. Uh, <laughs> and so, so it is a little bit personal, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, if Zach couldn't have got Palau, he might have been uh, aiming for Scott Dixon. You know, there was a lot of rumours there that Scott was uh, worried that he was going to get shuffled sideways into Ganassi's uh, IMSA team, uh, and he doesn't feel ready to commit full-time to sports cars. He thinks he's got a lot less to offer with open wheel. And by moving to Aaron McLaren SP, he would, and investing in it, it would, uh, in the same way that Jeff Gordon did with Hendrick Motorsports at NASCAR, it would be his call as to, you know, when to quit the open wheel cockpit. Um, so there were those rumors, but then those, <laughs> those, those died away somewhat once uh, it became clear that Zach was also, uh, you know, making moves on Alex Pelot. Now, Pelot obviously didn't, uh, you know, his, his news didn't go down well with Chip. I think that's a polite way to put it. And uh, things got so fractious that, to our understanding, Chip said, okay, you want to leave? but I'm going to take out your option for 2023. So therefore, you know, the terms and conditions don't improve any more than when I signed you as a rookie with just a podium to your name uh, before I turned you into a champion. And then you're free to go in 2023, uh, at the end of 2023. Um, obviously, things have come to a head since then in that, <laughs> you know, we had Chip putting out that press release saying that uh, Pelot was uh, staying on for 23 and Pelot said, uh, no, that ain't happening. And so we've got this kind of like impasse right now where we don't know what uh, power Chip has in terms of whether he can actually force uh, Alex to uh, stay or could, you know, have, I mean, no team owner in their right mind is going to put a gun to someone's head and say, you've got to drive for me because that's not going to get the best out of either the team or the driver. So uh, is it simply a case of, uh, you know, McLaren paying whatever compensation Chip demands? Or, you know, does Chip say, no, screw you, you breached etiquette, we want to go through, uh, you know, we want to go through our lawyers on this one. I don't... Could he just end up on the sidelines? I mean, is that is that is that a third option that he can't? He doesn't end up racing anywhere. Well, that's a very uh, interesting point because I think that is definitely something that Felix Rosenquist, uh, whose position he would theoretically be taking if he was to join the McLaren IndyCar team for a year and wait for Ricciardo's contract to expire at the end of twenty three. Felix yesterday implied that uh, Alex might not be driving anywhere. Uh, next year. Now, that would honestly astound me uh, if they didn't find somewhere to slot 
Pelot. I don't see Pelot wanting to rush off to Formula E. So I'd still say the most likely scenario is that, uh, is that uh, Felix moves across to Formula E and Pelot does get that uh, third Aaron McLaren SP drive in IndyCar. What, the only thing that we know that McLaren can do with him at the moment is that he is part of the uh, test program uh, in Formula One. Uh, along with Colton Hatter and Pado Awards. So we do know he's going to be doing that, but what he's actually going to be racing, I don't know. I mean, if, if Chip's lawyers can prove that McLaren breached etiquette by uh, approaching Pelo, uh then a compromise, <laughs> a compromise could be that, yeah, Pelo, the 2021 champion, misses the 2023 season. I mean, on top of all this, he may well be the 2022 champion as well. He's moved up to third in the points race uh, as a result of a great drive on Sunday in Toronto. Uh, so we could have this absurd thing of the champion of the previous two years being forced by you know legal necessity to sit out the 2023 season. Uh, it sounds unthinkable, but you know, stupid things happen in racing, as you know. Okay, let's dip into the Castro mailbag. Uh, Gil Slade and Glenn Schadenfreude both asked whether Gen 3 will actually be ready for the start of the 2023 season. Well, it will be because it absolutely has to be. They simply can't do another year with these Gen 2 cars. They simply can't delay Gen 3 again. So it will happen, but boy, it's going to be a wild ride to get there. I don't think anyone working for a supercars team right now will be planning any elaborate Christmas holiday plans. Um, and they'll be working right up until practice one in Newcastle on March 10, hopefully, uh, if that event does go ahead. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, a real last minute scramble for everybody. It's going to get pretty messy between now and then. The frustrating thing for all the teams right now is that they can't actually get started. There's still so much development work going on that they can't start welding chassis together. They really can't do anything. They're sort of sitting on their hands a little bit now. You know, if they could be building cars right now, I think everyone would be a lot more relaxed. But the, the teams are definitely frustrated by the timeline blowout and nervous about the off-season. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Stefan? Oh, yeah, I think it speaks to the lack of confidence in the industry when uh, when the father of one of the drivers is, is asking us on yeah. the podcast whether yeah. it's going to happen. I get um, it. Yes, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's been quite extraordinary the way the Gen Three thing has stumbled along, and the amount of redesigning that's had to be done after the fact. And that's not just talking about the whole gear lever fiasco, but the driver fit issue, which we talked about at length, which required all those big changes to the chassis and and the latest rework of the front suspension and steering that's gone on in the in the last little bit. So there, there is some chassis work in terms of building going on, but yeah, there's the teams aren't able to go flat stick on it. That's for sure. So as you as you say, at the end of the day, the teams will get it done. That's what the industry is. It's a can-do industry, but I think the question is at what cost, and I mean that both financially and in terms of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's uh, it's it's we're coming off the back of a couple of really tough years. Um, for crews, for people that work for supercars teams. Um, there are It's tough getting staff at the moment for supercars teams because a lot of guys after those sort of two years where they were, you know, on the road a lot, locked out of home a lot, all that sort of stuff, you know, their motivation 
dipped and it's been difficult to find staff and, you know, chucking another, you know, cancel your Christmas holidays, you know, you're going to be working right through on top of them all is, is pretty brutal. But as you say, it has to be done and it will be done. All right. I think we should hand out some stars of the week. Stefan, who's getting your nice big Castrol gold star this week? Well, I'm going full Castrol this week by giving it to Larry and Jack Perkins. They are going to give fans a chance to come and check out their awesome race cars, which, of course, includes the 1993 Bathurst-winning Castrol Commodore. They're holding an open day on July 30 at their workshop in Melbourne. It's part of a big garage sale ahead of a relocation of Perkins Engineering. Their restorations are incredible, as we've all uh, as we've all seen with those great videos that Jack Perkins does on his uh, YouTube channel. So um, great that uh, fans are going to be able to see him up close, and uh, that's why they're my stars of the week. Very, very good choice. Uh, I'm gonna. I just have to go with Scott Dixon, uh, another fine Castro man. If you remember his antics at the Bathurst 12 Hour in an Aston Martin a few <laughs> years ago, so. There's a link there. There's a link there. You're not going to outcast on me on this one, Stefan. Um, but, yeah, like, just what an absolute legend. Um, second most wins in IndyCar, tied with Mario Andretti. I mean, that that really says it all. So um, good on you, Scott. You get my big Castrol star. Just before we go this week, Castrol Racing uh, has a very cool competition going at the moment. They want to see your Castrol-inspired helmet designs. Uh, to enter, you need to head to the Castrol Racing Facebook page, save the template, and then get creative. You can design it in Photoshop or print it off and pull out the crayons, however you want to do it. Then send your design directly back to the Castrol Racing Facebook page. The best design We'll win a Castrol merch pack with a jacket, shirt, and hat. Uh, that comp starts today and will close on August 3. So get scribbling and make something cool. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.